Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, if you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Esther chapter 2, that's where we'll be this morning. And while you're turning there, um, I had the privilege of getting to go to junior camp last week and spending time with many of the children in our church. And so this is the group that we were able to take, and they are just a phenomenal young people in our church. And someone, uh, they commented on this photo online, and it was so true. They said, this is the future of our church. And it is. And so it was an honor to be able to spend time with them and to see them as they are growing in their faith. And in the next picture you can see, this is why we think it's so important for the kids to go to camp. They're sitting down, they're in the book of Philippians, and they're going through the chapter, and they're trying to study God's word, and they're trying to learn God's word. And it's, I was very proud of our young people because they were the top in the top three uh, people that memorized the most verses in their cabins. They did an incredible job. They loved being there, and they were there for the right reasons. They were there to learn more about God. And so it's always an honor to be here with you, and it's an honor to share God's word. And I thank Pastor Armstrong for the opportunity to be able to share God's word with you. And so this morning, we're going to look at the life of Esther. This is a young lady who her entire world was turned upside down. She didn't have a conventional home like most people. She, she lost both of her parents. And yet she decided not to get bitter against God. She decided to get better, and she was able to live an obedient life and let God work in and through her. And we're going to learn her story and the other key characters in her story today. But let's go ahead and let's stand together, if you're able to, for the reading of God's word. We're going to read Esther chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And I'll read the odd verses if you all would read the even verses. Let's begin. Now in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. And he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and was the, the maid was fair and beautiful. When Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. And the maid pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him. And he speedily gave her her things for purification, with such things as belonged to her, and seven maidens, which were meat to be given her, out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maids unto the best place of the house of the women. And Mordecai walked every day before the court, of the women's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her. Thank you. You may be seated. 
Has anyone here ever met someone, or maybe you are this person that is always prepared for anything that could happen? I'm talking, maybe you have a mom who has a big purse, and in that purse, they have a first aid kit. In that purse, they have sunscreen. Anyone have a family member like that? Yeah, I've got a family member like that. And, you know, it's good to be prepared. And you know what? Some people, they take it to a whole nother extreme. There's a guy, his name is Jeff Flanagan. And he was so uh, concerned with being prepared that he literally, he bought an entire missile silo. Because he didn't know, you know, if something was going to happen one day, maybe a nuclear war. He wanted to be ready. You know, I don't know if there's going to be a nuclear war, but he'll be ready in the event that there is. And it's interesting to know that we need to be always ready and prepared for what could be. You know, this guy, he's prepared for a disaster. But sometimes we're going to have, in our lives, we're going to have defining moments. They will be there. And the question is, will we be ready or not be ready? Will we be prepared? And it's in the life of Esther, we see that she spent her entire life just being ready. And God was able to use her, and God was able to work in and through her life. Because you can't always plan defining moments, but you can always be prepared for them. And so you say, you know, Pastor David, what fork in the road moments are you talking about? What defining moments are you, are you saying that we need to be ready for? Well, there's going to come times in your life where you're going to have to make decisions. You're going to have to make a decision of whether or not you're going to lie to your boss. You're going to have to make a decision whether or not when the Holy Spirit convicts you, should you tell this person about Jesus? Should you share the gospel with that person? That's a defining moment. That changes eternity for someone. You're going to have to make a decision on whether or not you're going to set a good example for your children, whether or not you're going to spend time leading them to follow God. You're going to have to make a decision about these so many areas in your life that if you're not ready and you're not prepared, you might not make the correct decision. And defining moments, they're so important. And what do you mean by defining moments, you ask? Well, a defining moment is an event that alters the direction of a person's life. That defining moment is so important, and it can steer you in the right direction, or you could decide to go in the wrong direction. And so it's important that we are prepared, and we're going to look at this story. In every good story, they always have three different characters. There's a guide that helps someone, and that guide is Mordecai. And so we have Mordecai that we're going to look at, and then we have the hero of the story of, of this story, and it's Esther. And then every good story always has a bad guy, a villain, and that's Haman. And we're going to look to see what defining moments characterized their path and how, what we can learn to, to apply into our lives so that we can be ready for the defining moments that God has for us. So let's look at the first person in the story that God shows us, and that's Mordecai. He is the guide. This is someone who, he's, he's not the father of Esther, he's the cousin. And he's here, he is sharing and trying to care for this young lady, Esther. He, he meets Esther, their family members, and he finds out when he's taken away from his homeland that Esther doesn't have parents anymore. And so he decides to step up to the plate and to take her as his own. And he's a loving caretaker. As a guide, maybe there's some parents in the room. I know that I see several. Maybe you're not a parent yet, but maybe you are a guide to some young believer, to maybe the children in the church 
you should be able to guide these children and be as a loving caretaker to instill truths of God's word into them. It says that Haman, not Haman, but he says that Mordecai, it says that he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, in Esther 2.7. And at the end of the verse, it says, he took her for his own daughter. He adopted his cousin. He took her as his own daughter in love and care. In Esther 2.20, it says that it shows us that he instilled into her strong commandments from God's word. It says, for Esther did the commandment of Mordecai like when she was brought up with him. Esther didn't have a father or a mother, but she had someone who cared for her. She had someone who tried to instill some character traits into her, someone who tried to care for her. And as a father myself and as someone who has a child that I am supposed to be caring for, it's something that I can deeply relate to. And as older Christians and as Christians who've been saved for a while, you should be trying to instill and care and love on other newer Christians and to help guide them on their journey of faith to be more like Jesus. Proverbs 22.6 tells us to train up a child in the way that he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. As parents, we're commanded to train children in the ways of the Lord. It's our responsibility as parents to care for them. Esther had a loving caretaker in her guide in Mordecai, and so she obeyed him because there was that relationship of care. And as you lovingly care for your children, as parents and as older Christians, you lovingly care for these younger Christians, you'll have this relationship to where there's trust and to where they'll want to follow you. They'll want to see your example and follow God. Mordecai, he not only was a caretaker for Esther, but he was a courageous example. It says in Esther 2.21 that in those days while Mordecai, he sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, of those which kept the door, they were wroth, they were mad, and they set to lay hands on the king Ahasuerus. And the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen. And Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. And the story goes on to say that Mordecai saw something that was wrong, and he stood up, and he said something. He stood up and he tried to stop the evil that was going to happen. He set a good example. He set a strong and a courageous example for Esther of doing what was right. You know what? This man, this Mordecai, this guide, he's here and he is seeing an evil happen. It's not going to happen to his family. It's not going to happen to him. It's to someone else. But you know what? He sees the evil and he does something about it. In Proverbs 31, 9, it says, Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. It's up to us to set good examples, to stand up when we see wrong happening, when we see evil happening. We need to do something about it. We need to not just see it and let it pass because it doesn't affect me. We need to stand up and be a Christian and stand up for what is right. We live in a country where it was founded on biblical principles, We've seen over the history of our nation that things have degraded, and it's gone one step down, one step down, another step down, and the people that should be standing up for what is right, and the people that should be making sure that our country doesn't keep going in the wrong direction, that should be the church. We should be standing up for God's word. We should be standing up for God. We should be the ones that are there in the courthouse, those that are in the, the voting system trying to protect and preserve our nation. Because 
I don't know about you, but I'm concerned about the direction our country is headed, what our children are going to have to deal with. The things that our generation is dealing with, my grandmother's generation would have been appalled at. The decisions that we're voting on, the degradation, it keeps going, 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 but we need to stand up and do what is right. Mordecai set a godly example for Esther. Are we setting a godly example for the children that are coming up? I've spent a lot of time with the children in our church, and over the last few months, I've been talking to several that have maybe not been to church, and you know, there's been you know, some extenuating circumstances, and it's interesting that almost unanimously, when I talk to them, they tell me that my parents don't come to church, so I can't come to church. Think about the example that is setting for their children. Now, you all are here this morning, and so my challenge to you is continue in the godly example that you are setting. Remember that your actions speak louder than your words. And when your children, they see you do something, they see and they watch, and that goes so much farther than what you say because your actions show what is valuable to you. You taking time on a holiday weekend to come and worship God together, to sing praises to God, to not just attend church, but to be the church, to participate in worship together, to participate in worshiping our Savior, that speaks volumes because you could be out on the lake right now. You could be getting your fireworks ready, but you're not. You're here worshiping God, showing that this is important. And so you can't always plan for defining moments, but you can always be ready for them. And that's what Mordecai was trying to teach and instill into Esther. So we saw how Mordecai, he's the guide. Let's look at the hero of the story. Let's look at Esther. This is a young lady who had incredible hardships in her life. She lost her father. She lost her mother. I can't relate to her, to the hardships that she has, but I know that there's children in our ministry that can directly relate, and they feel that pain. But you know what? She had someone who loved her and was guiding her, and she had a decision to make. Was she going to stay bitter of all the hardships that she had endured, or was she going to accept that and to understand that God can work through her life despite all the pain? You see, before this verse was even written, this is years before, Jeremiah, he wrote these words, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. You see, the verse is teaching us that God had a plan for Jeremiah's life, and he has a plan for our life. Before we were even born, God has a plan. He wants to work in and through your life. But you know what? In the life of Esther, we see that she did some things that we should emulate. She did some things that you and I, we need to do and follow because she had a life that God worked through. The first thing we see is that she lived an obedient life. In the verses that we read, we see a young lady, a young lady who, despite all the hardships, she could have gotten a rebellious heart, but she didn't. It says that when Mordecai gave instruction to her, Let's read the verse. In Esther 2.10, it says, Then Esther had not showed her people nor her kindred, for Mordecai had charged her that she should not show it. This is a young lady who's not even under the roof of Mordecai anymore. She is an adult. She is out here, and she is living her life. But you know what? She still obeys the authorities that God has placed into her life. She still lives an obedient life. What authorities do we have in our lives? 
You know what? How many of you work a job and you have a boss? Yeah, so several of us, okay. So the Bible says that the powers that be are, are ordained of God. And Romans 13, was, it says, let every soul be subject to the higher powers. Because you know what? That boss that is in your life, they are put there and they have the power to be your supervisor because God's put them in that place. The government that we have, they are our authority, that God-given authority. And you know what? Sometimes we might not, we might not like the things that they say, but we're commanded to be obedient. You know, our pastor is a spiritual authority that God has placed in our life. And we need to make sure that we are submitting to that authority out of humbleness and humility and obedience. We need to make sure that the authorities, if any of you are in school or taking college classes, your teacher is an authority. You need to respect, you need to obey, you need to follow that authority that you've been given. Each of us has an authority in our life. And we need to understand that we should live an obedient life. Now, all of us today, we might not have a boss, we might not have a teacher in our life, but all of us are subject to Jesus Christ. We all are subject to God as our ultimate authority. And Jesus told his disciples this, and he tells you this. In John 14, 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. So let's look at a few different commandments that we've been given. We're going to uh, relate these to the mission of our church. Now, as a church, we all have, if we are members of this church, we've gone through a class where we've learned what we do as Christians, how as this local assembly of believers, we live out the commandments of the Bible in three specific ways. And everything we do relates back to these ways. And the first one is loving God. So my question for you is, how much time have you spent on your own studying God's word? Have you spent time applying God's word to your life? What's the last thing that you have learned from the Bible? You see, it's important that we not only come to church, and that is important to developing that strong relationship with God and worshiping together, but you know what? We're commanded in 2 Timothy 2.15, our Awana kids memorize this verse. It says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We are to study God's word. We are to spend time applying it to our lives, to meditate on God's word, loving God. What have you spent this week, what time have you spent studying God's word? The next thing that we have that binds us together as a church in our mission is growing together. Now, when I think of growing together, the first thing that comes to mind is Acts 20, 35. It says, and I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. How much time have you spent giving to others? Have you, have you been invested your time into a ministry yet. If you haven't, that is something as a Christian that is so important. It's so important that we're serving other people. Jesus gave us an example. He was a servant leader. He served those people that followed him. And he set an example for us. And so if you don't have a ministry that you're serving in, you're missing out. Because honestly, you'll get to know people. You'll get to, I mean, Jesus says more blessed to give than to receive. So make sure that you are growing together through serving in this church. The last thing that we have is reaching Tucson. That's one of our core values. And 
Mark 16, 15, Jesus says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So what is the name of the person that you are actively trying to share the gospel with? What's their name? Think about that name in your, in your brain. Who are you actively trying to tell them that there is an eternal destination that they are going to spend either eternity in heaven or eternity in hell? As Christians, we should care. We shouldn't have a blank space right now of, I think I should tell someone. There should be a person that you're burdened about. That you, If we really believe what the Bible says, if we really believe that we have the answers for eternity in God's word, then we should be sharing the gospel. There should be a person that you are trying to share the gospel with. As we're moving on, we see that Esther lived an obedient life. And because she lived this obedient life to Mordecai and to the principles of God's word, we see that she experienced a life of blessings. We see in Esther 2, 8, 9, in the verse 9, it says, And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him. We see that Esther's life is characterized by blessing, but you know what preceded those blessings in her life? Her obedience. Her obedience is what we see first, and because she obeyed, then God was able to work in and through her life and to be able to bless her life. Because he didn't have to chastise her for disobedience. He was able to rain down the blessings of God on her. Esther is a young lady who obtained favor in the eyes of these people that were over her, her authorities, because she was obedient. So we've seen the guide in Esther's life, how he was a caretaker. He cared for Esther. He instilled values into her life and how he was a good example for her. And so many of us, that's the role that we are playing right now in other people's lives. We are to guide other people on their journey of faith. Some of you, you don't have a guide or someone to guide, but you know what? You have the opportunity to live an obedient life. All of us have a choice, and we can experience the blessings of God. Let's look now at someone who we don't want to emulate, someone who we see warning signs in, the life of Haman. Haman in this story is the villain. Haman is the man that we don't want to be anything like. And we see that this man, as in verses uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 3, Haman receives a promotion. He's promoted above everybody else by the king. And you know it starts to swell up in his, in his life? He starts to swell up some promotion. This promotion starts to swell up pride. And this promotion, we see, can cause pride. And there's a warning here for all of us that when you're promoted, you need to keep a close eye on your life. You need to make sure that pride is not developing in there because it's a sin that so often we don't even detect or notice. Whenever I was uh, doing some research for the sermon, it's incredible to think about our materialistic culture. You know, in Singapore, they have the five C's. And the five C's are this, cash, car, credit card, condo, and country club. These are the stepping stones in the, in the culture for young people in Singapore. They aspire first to get cash. Then they aspire to get a car. Then they go for a credit card. Then a condo. Because they believe that as they achieve each level, they're going to build a better life for them and their family. And as I was reading about this, how true is that of our culture? Where they aspire and they work hard to receive money. 
the biggest aspiration and the most noble aspiration when you ask someone who's not a Christian, and even some Christians, about why they are doing what they are doing, it's to give my family a better life. You know what? As Christians, we should understand that our lives, the very reason we were created is to give glory and honor to God. That's why we should do everything that we do. It's not to build a better life for our family, though we are supposed to care for our family, but you know what? The mission of our lives is to glorify God, to have a relationship with God. Why do you think the Son of God came down from heaven to earth to save you from your sins? It was to have a relationship with you. How can, how can someone who's on their way to hell glorify and honor God and have a relationship with God? It's essential that we understand that we don't live our lives for any of these things. We should live our lives as Christians to bring glory and honor to God. And so as we continue looking at the life of Haman, he didn't live his life for the glory of God. He lived it for power. He lived it for influence, for his own gain and greed. And what we see is he got upset and he had pride in his life. Solomon gave us one barometer of pride. And the way in which we respond to correction will show how much pride you have in your life. Proverbs 9, 8 says, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Think about the last time someone told you you were wrong. The last time someone said, you need to fix this in your life. What was your response? Was it humility and saying, you know what, you're right? Or was it, you don't know what you're talking about. You've got all this going on wrong in your life. Why are you looking at my life? Don't judge me. You need to think about your own self. Are you constantly trying to be on the defensive? That's a sign that there's pride in your life. If you're always in contention with people and there's always something that someone else is doing wrong, you're not living a humble life. You're living a life full of pride. And that's what we see that characterized the life of Haman. And the warning that we see is as you are lifted up and as you are promoted, you are at great risk to have a heart full of pride. That's why it's so essential that we spend time with our Savior, that we spend time knowing the mind of Christ, because Jesus was humble. He was someone who humbled himself so that he could even come down to this earth and save each and every person. We need to learn from our Savior in humility. We need to understand that the fastest way to see God's blessing in our life leave and the things that God is doing in his life, the fastest way for that to leave is to take credit for what he's doing. A blessed and a humble person is one of the greatest balancing acts in all the world. If you want God's blessing on your life to disappear, take credit for what he's doing. Because then you're the one that is saying that has caused all of these good things in your life. The Bible has a different answer. The Bible says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it cometh down from the Father of, life, of lights where there's no variableness of turning. You know what? Every good thing, the money that you've been given, the family that you've been given, the children that you've been given, this church that you're able to be a part of, all of these good things that you've been given, they come directly from God. It's not what you've done. It's not what someone else has done. God is the one who brings the blessings down on your life. And if we don't keep that in sight, if we don't keep that in focus, then our pride will fill up in our lives. The next thing we see in his life is because of his pride-filled life, he was at serious risk. And if we have a pride-filled life, we will be at serious risk. This is a warning. 
Esther 3, 5 says, And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. This word wrath is a Hebrew word, hema. It literally is translated as heat, poison, venom, and rage. This guy's attitude was so upset. He got so mad that someone would dare take the spotlight away from him that he had venom in his heart. He literally infected other people. This was a poison and there was no good in it. He didn't care about anyone else. You know what was so bad? Haman didn't bow to him. Sorry, Mordecai didn't bow to Haman. And because Mordecai didn't bow to Haman, Haman's pride was pushed out of the way. And Haman got mad. He got enraged. And he said, you know what? Because of this, I'm not only going to kill Haman, kill Mordecai, I'm going to kill all of the Israelites. Just because this one man took the spotlight away from me. This is the rage. This is the wickedness that comes out of pride. Pride is wicked. In Proverbs 16, 18, it says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This is written by one of the wisest men that ever lived. This is Solomon. And you know what? It's sad to think that Solomon wrote this, but then he experienced it because he let the pride of his own life think that he was better and he didn't have to obey the precepts of God. And so he had destruction and the kingdom split as a result of his pride. History is littered with real life stories of people of talent, people who are gifted, men and women, and they crashed and they burned because they didn't know how to deal with success. Leaders who started well, but they finished poorly. I'm going to tell you about my favorite, absolute favorite athlete as a, as a kid growing up. Like I had his video game, I you know, would play him all the time. His name is Tiger Woods. He is the best golfer that's ever lived, and he is an incredible athlete. But you know, and yes, golf is a sport, okay? So he was incredible. I'll tell you how great this guy was. He literally won 82 official PGA Tour events. Like, I would watch him on Sunday afternoons, and I would see he would hit the ball, it would go in, and he would make it right into, you know, the cup. He was incredible. In 2009, he earned over $1 billion in his career. Think about that, a billion dollars. This guy was incredible. He was at the height and the top of his career. And then in 2009, the National Enquirer, they published a story claiming that Woods had an affair. One month later, he said that he was going to take an indefinite break from professional golf. Accenture, AT&T, Gatorade, and General Motors, they completely cut off all his sponsorships. They lost between $5 billion and $12 billion because of this decision that Woods had made to have an affair. On February 19, 2010, Woods gave a televised statement after a 45-day therapy program where he apologized for his actions, saying, he said this, We can learn from this man, from what he said. He said, I thought I could get away with whatever I wanted to. He said, I felt that I had worked hard my entire life and deserved to enjoy all the temptations around me. He said, I felt that I was entitled. Thanks to money and fame, I didn't have to go far to find them. But I was wrong. I was foolish. Unless we blame this man, none of us are immune to pride. 
None of us are immune to this insidious force that will tear at your relationship with people. It will tear down your influence. It will tear down anything that you are wanting to accomplish. Pride is a sin that literally resulted in the entire human race going into sin. Think of the sin that Satan committed that thrust him out of heaven. It was the sin of pride. And because of that sin, he went and he tempted Adam and Eve. And then they had this sin of pride because they wanted to be like God. And then because of that, all of us have a sin nature. Pride is wicked and it's destructive. And we need to be aware of the effects of pride in our life. Because so often to not, we see pride in other people. But we don't see it in ourselves. We need to make sure that we are seeing the warning signs of pride in our life. And as we look at the life of Mordecai and how he was a guide for Esther, he helped Esther and he instructed her and he cared for her. And then Esther lived an obedient life and because of that, she experienced the blessings of God. And we see that we don't want to be like Haman. We don't want the pride in our life. But as we learn from these three characters, where are you at in this story? We see that defining moments happen in each one of these characters' lives. They all had a choice. In defining moments, they're not often realized until later. You don't often know that right now I am in a defining moment of my life. And so it's important that you understand, and what we see from studying these three characters in the story is that we need to always be ready. The motto for Boy Scouts is, be prepared. And as we think about being prepared in the Boy Scouts, it's interesting that the founder, Robert Baden Power, he said this, being prepared means that you are always in a state of readiness in mind and body to do your duty. As Christians, we are instructed to watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. We are to be ready always. We are to be together standing in strength. Because you know what? We don't know what God has planned in the next 24 hours. We don't know what God has planned for our lives in the next hour. There could be an incredible trial come into our lives. There could be a defining moment come into your life. And you know what? We're commanded to be ready. We're commanded to be strong. Maybe you're going to have an opportunity this holiday weekend to talk to someone about their eternity. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We are commanded to be able to give an answer for why we know that we are going to heaven. We are commanded to be ready always to give an answer to someone, to share the gospel with people so that we can change their eternal destiny. Those defining moments are so essential because it's a fork in the road of eternity. When the Holy Spirit prompts you to tell someone about God, to tell them about Jesus, to tell them that they can have a relationship with God, it's your responsibility not to see them saved. It's your responsibility to share the gospel. And you know what? They might not get saved at that moment. You might just be planting a seed of the gospel that God wants you to plant. And don't be discouraged if they don't get saved. Be encouraged that you obeyed God, and God's the one who's going to work in that person's life. You need to make sure that you are always on the ready 
for what God is going to do and could do in your life. And then when opportunities arise, you need to step up. When opportunities arise, you need to step up and understand that this is your time to do something for God. You know what? It's easy to just sit down and let things happen. It's easy for someone's decision or someone else's problem or some other situation. It's so easy for us just to say, I'm not going to really worry about that. I'm going to focus on my own situation. It was the winter of 1850. And there was a man. His name was John Eglin. This guy, he literally was someone who just wanted to do what was right. He just wanted to follow God. And so it was a blizzard coming in, but you know what? He said, I can still get out of my house, so it's a Sunday, I'm going to go to church. And so he put on his boots, he put on his jacket, he started walking. It was cold, but you know what? He knew he needed to be there because he needed to spend time worshiping God. He knew it was important to participate in worshiping God with other Christians. He's not just attending church, he is actively worshiping God. It's not so that he can boost someone's number. He's there because it's important. And so he got there, and there was no one there. The pastor wasn't there. There were no other deacons there. The lights were off. So he, you know what? He said, well, I'm the first one here, and it's cold. I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to stoke the furnace. I'm going to put the wood in. I'm going to light the fire. I'm going to you know, get the lanterns going. So whenever the pastor gets here, he'll be ready to go. And so he waited, and some people came in. He saw some people, you know, he said, oh, hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. We'll wait for the pastor to get here. He'll preach, and we'll uh, sing songs together. And he waited and waited and waited, and the pastor never showed. The pastor was, he was snowed in. He couldn't get out. But these people were there. And so this man, John, he was a deacon. And so he felt like it was his responsibility to step up and to not just send everyone away. He wasn't a preacher. He'd never preached a sermon in his life. But you know what? He knew that it was important to worship God. And he saw there were 12 church members there and one little boy that he had never met before. And so he said, you know what? I'm just going to share, share something out of God's word. And so he went on to preach a message. And the people that were there will testify and say that it wasn't a good message. It meandered and it wandered and rabbit trail after rabbit trail. You know what? He, he didn't seem like he was making any point. But, you know, at the end of the sermon, he said one thing. He said these words. He said, look to Jesus. Young man, look to Jesus. Because he didn't know if this kid actually was saved or not. So he said, young man, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look, look, look. That's honestly all he said. He didn't really explain a whole lot. But years later, there was a difference that was made. This little boy, now a man, said this. I did look. And then and there, the cloud on my heart lifted the darkness and rolled away. And at that moment, I saw the sun. That boy's name was Charles Spurgeon. He grew up to be what some call the prince of preachers. He led tens of thousands of people to the Lord. This man, John, had no idea. He had no idea that this little boy who stumbled in in the middle of a blizzard was going to grow up and change his entire country for God. And we don't know what defining moments God's going to have in our life. We don't know 
how our obedience, how our example is going to be used by God to influence the next generation.